Hello, my name is Evan Jacobs and welcome to the Orange County Hardcore Scene Stir Aftermath podcast. These interviews are part of an ongoing series chronicling the hardcore punk music scene in Orange County, California and sometimes elsewhere. They are an addendum to the film Orange County Hardcore Scene Stir. This is a documentary I made that chronicles the 1990s hardcore punk scene. You can stream Orange County Hardcore Scene Stir on Vimeo. For $2 a month, you can watch every Anadimia film by subscribing to Anadimia Films Unlimited on Vimeo. Links for all this stuff are in each episode description. To support this podcast, please like, rate, and review it. Also, please subscribe to Anadimia Films TV on YouTube, where you can view all of these podcasts in their original video form. So I was kicked out of Hebrew school for leading a student insurrection. Um, we had, uh, I went to this uh, synagogue in a nearby town, in Newtown, Connecticut, actually. And the, <laughs> there was a group of students who I led during a, a class break where everyone was allowed to be outside. I led them into the woods, down to a stream, along the stream, and convinced them that we didn't need to go back to <laughs> the synagogue. And, and like an hour, whatever, too late. I, I don't know. I remember it as being like days later. When you're 11 years old, it could have been 15 minutes, right? But right, right. I remember it being like an hour, an hour and a half. We got back to the synagogue, and I remember all the, the classes were over with, and they were looking for us. And, of course, everyone asked, you know, why did you all run away? And everyone, of course, ratted me out, all pointed at me like, you know, Greg did it. Uh, so, yes, I was I was kicked out of Hebrew school. My, I think my family was asked not to return to the synagogue and declared a menace to education by the Jewish Board of Education, whatever it was. The point is, is that I got sent uh, to a yeshiva on the weekends to study. Well, not on the weekends because you can't go on Saturday, but on Sunday to study for my bar mitzvah. And uh, that's how I got through my bar mitzvah, was studying with extraordinarily, extremely religious rabbinical students at a yeshiva because I couldn't function in a normal Hebrew school, evidently. So Did that make you take it more seriously? Because I, I, yeah. you can't not. I mean, you can't right. not. I mean, you're, you're hanging out in the yeshiva and these guys are like next level Jews. This is not, this is not introductory level. This is not introductory level religion. This is serious. They're in, Judaism. they're in the black and they got the hats and yeah, <laughs> and the payas and the sitzes and yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. All of it. So yeah, there's no way, there's no way to not study seriously for your bar mitzvah. But also, you know, my parents now who laugh about that story at the time, didn't think it was entirely funny, and I felt like I had something to prove to them that I could actually get through this thing without uh, uh, the entire family, extended family, showing up and being embarrassed. So, yeah, I studied hard, and, uh, yeah, that was uh, – gosh, I haven't told that story. I don't know if I've ever told that story in an interview, certainly, but uh, pretty fun. Oh, the, the week before or the week of my bar mitzvah, like – and this, you got to realize Screaming for Change is out. I'm not listening to it. Like Nelson, my brother, all of them are listening to it. There was a guy who was, who, he was, I think he was doing something. I don't know what he was doing. Anyway, the guy convinced me to shave my head. And, and let's just say, like, I, it's just interesting. I never knew any of this about you. And it's funny how we both, right, and it, right at that time, this really, like, like, it's supposed to just be like a special time. Forget the religion, forget the religious aspect of it. It's, it's like middle school time. It's such like, uh, you know, 
and just shaved the head. And my dad saw me. My dad wanted to hit me. And he goes, I can't hit you. He's all, nothing I do is going to make this better. So I'm, I'm done. So great. Well, you know, and you raised an important point, right? That, that, that the ceremony itself signifies this transformation to manhood or whatever. But let's be realistic. We're talking about middle school kids and what do middle school kids want to do? They want to throw like, throw like rocks through windows and lead insurrections and whatever they want to do. Right. So, so it's just, it's this weird, just why are we doing this kind of situation? But I mean, I got through it, you got through it all the better. And we're here to laugh about it today. So that's fantastic. Um, by the way, I don't know what it is, but for some reason now, you're reminding me a lot of Jason Bateman. I don't know why. I, I, I can't put my hand on it. it it's uh, that's that's a great that's a great honor. It's but I know I, I think he's doing you. If you want, if you want to know the honest, you know, truth, you know. Okay, that hashtag Jason Bateman. <laughs> Pay attention to Greg Benick and his bar mitzvah stories because you've got a lot to learn. Okay, 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 okay. Now, okay, I, I have one more question before we get into the questions, which is, is going to be all over the place, and we're just going to get through. We're going to power through this, and you are, gonna, you are an orator, and it, it's going to be fine. But when you and I met in 1995, when I was living with Brian Chu, that... I think 1993, but go on. Okay, oh, well... It might have been... Okay. I, it might have been, might have been earlier, but anyway, please go on. Oh, early nineties. Okay. When you okay, well, in the apartment in Lower Hate, when you played trial for Brian Chu, I wasn't in the room; I was in the kitchen, but I heard it, and I, I remember telling you. And Derek, Derek Harn was was with you, and yeah. he, um, which I always thought was really cool. He made like underwear that was like pop culture centric. He did, dude. He was yeah, hot topic cool. before hot topic. His company was called Lee Mate, and you're right. If I played trial for you, it would have been 1995 or after. You're totally right. Uh, Derek's company was called Lee Majors, after the guy, you know, six oh, yeah. million dollar man. And his and what he did is he would go around to thrift stores before thrifting was really a thing like it is now and vintage and all. And he would find bed sheets, clean bed sheets of Dukes of Hazard, Star Wars, whatever, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark bed sheets, and he had hired somebody to sew them into boxer shorts. And we all forever were wearing Lee Majors, which was his brand of boxer shorts. So we would um, we would wear them all over the place and, and uh, celebrate that cause. But he was making boxer shorts for a living for a while. I just yeah. remember thinking that's such a good idea. Like, like what he was doing. And then, I mean, now stuff like that, like you can find that many places, like, like that idea. But... When I heard trial, I remember coming in telling you guys, hey, I think this sounds really good. If I would have told you, you know, had like a whole time machine and said, hey, you know, X many years later, we're going to kind of do an interview and I'm going to be talking to you about this. If I would have told that Greg then that, what would you, what would, what would your response have been? I would have thought you were uh, out of your damn mind. <laughs> I, uh, I, I honestly, my insecurity about what trial was and was doing lasted like lasted in, I mean, for every record until people would give us feedback. Like I never had confidence in it. And in fact, I remember standing in the studio when we started to record the Are These Our Lives record. I hadn't spoken, even as loud as I'm speaking now, in 10 months. I had damaged my voice very seriously and went and took opera lessons, which consisted of me just breathing, basically, and humming and vocalizing slightly for more than half a year. 
And the first time anyone heard me sing again, not even knowing if I would have a voice, was in the studio. And when we recorded the first line of the song, An Awakening, the, song, the line is, uh, Are We the Dead? Um, I remember screaming that line for the first time. And Brian Redman, rest in peace, threw his hands up in the air. I could see him through the window of the studio, like with this look on his face, like, <gasps> like he has a voice. And that I get goosebumps thinking about it. That was the moment where I was like, oh, okay, maybe maybe this is going to work out okay. I was always thinking it was not going to work out, not going to be listened to, not going to be paid attention to. And if you told me that after, I mean, I was telling somebody recently that for every week for the last, since the record came out, I get some email, text message, Facebook, Instagram, direct message, whatever it is, from somebody saying, this record changed my life. It's been 22 years. 23 years now it, it it boggles my mind i still don't believe it and back then i would have had you institutionalized i never would have believed it now that type of training that whole opera training did that allow for you to be able to tour and play and have a voice night after night is that the kind is, is like are, did it teach you how to use your voice in the right way kind of thing yeah it absolutely did now keep in mind it didn't sink in so that was 1998 into the spring of 1999 when I took that training with Charles Davis, Studio Voice. That's how he talked in Seattle. Um, it was 2015, maybe 2013. Trial was playing a show in St. Petersburg in Russia. And I remember we were almost to the end of the set and my voice hadn't gone out. And my voice felt strong. And I remember the moment thinking to myself, Oh my gosh, I know how to sing in a hardcore band. And so it was whatever that is, 15, 16, whatever, 14 years it took for the information to sink in before I could sing and have my voice not go out. And and even today, like if I'm in the studio today, I can do a session of five hours, six hours, and then be fine. It took like a decade and a half for that to work, but it's all rooted back in uh, proper breathing supporting your voice correctly and just proper, I don't know, kinesthetic, physical technique, really, more than anything else. So, yes, my answer is yes, but I evidently was a very slow learner. Uh, the guy thought it would take 15 minutes or, you know, 15 days, and it took 15 years, so go figure. How did you get into hardcore, and was the social justice, social consciousness always there? I got into hardcore uh, through a couple friends of mine. Um, there was a friend of mine named Chris in Connecticut who came over to my house one day with a cassette tape that he'd recorded off radio stations. He managed to pick up at his parents' house with some antenna that he put on the roof of his parents' house and uh, played uh, Angry Samoans, Meat Men, bands like that for me. Uh, and I was blown away. I mean, I was a hair metal kid. I mean, I still am, ironically, a hair metal <laughs> kid. Um, you know, if I'm listening to music or late at night going down a rabbit hole, I'm not doing a rabbit hole of YouTube videos about the history of hardcore. Never. It's always the history of Dokken, the history of Bon Jovi, the history of Quiet Riot, Twisted Sister, um, White Lion, you name it. That's all I listened to until Chris showed up at my house with that cassette. And then that cassette was my entree into, hold on one second, there's other types of music that are like, wait, these, these people swear in their songs? That doesn't happen in a Bon Jovi song. And that got me intrigued. And then we found there are record stores that cater to these ridiculous bands. And then we found there are venues. You know, the Anthrax is right nearby in Norwalk, Connecticut, 
where these bands play. Like, what's that all about? Uh, and then I started meeting people, my friend John, my friend Al, all of whom, you know, later went on to do things in, in, in punk and hardcore and whatnot. And we all kind of did. Um, but we all came up together just discovering like, wait, wow, this Anthrax place is awesome. Wait, there's a place in New York too. Like it was just a constant period of discovery. And I would say, sure, social consciousness was there, but it was just inherent in punk rock at the time. I mean, what were we listening to? We were, you know, ultimately when we found our way, we were listening to the proletariat. We were listening to dead Kennedys. We're listening to um, all sorts of bands like that who had, not political themes, but certainly socially aware themes. And they weren't singing about the things that Dokken and Motley Crue were singing about. They were singing about things that seemed to matter. So that was really the consciousness was, was that these were bands who were singing about things that matter. And maybe we could be a part of that too, or do that as well. So when we started to form bands and whatnot, that's kind of the direction that just organically came about. 